0: Good morning, River City Church. Um, Before we get into the message this morning, I have a couple of uh, some personal and maybe pastoral reflections uh, over the last week or so that I'd like to share with you. I don't know about you, but being able to use technology like this is simultaneously wonderful and completely unsatisfying. On the one hand, I'm super grateful that we can together open God's Word via screens And at the same time, I am immediately aware, and maybe you are too, of how incomplete and how almost hollow it seems. That being said, distance and technology doesn't lessen the power of the resurrection. It doesn't diminish the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word. So it is my honor to open God's Word today, but I do so with a bittersweet taste in my mouth. Sweet in that any time we open God's Word, in almost any context— we, we do so with expectation and anticipation that God desires to speak to us through His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's good for us, but also a little bitter because we are wired for community. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We are created for community and not just for smiles and high fives, but there is something nourishing for our souls as we gather together, singing the same songs in the same place, as we sit under the same word together at the same time, as we take the same bread and the same cup in the Lord's Supper. And for the time being, we just can't do those things as designed. And that's why it's bitter. Nonetheless, we are bound by more than geography. We are bound in Christ through his blood as brothers and sisters. So in the midst of our current circumstances, my hope is restored and my heart fills with joy because of what we do share together. If you are new to River City or you're just joining us today online in some capacity, can I say to you this morning, welcome. Now, on to our sermon. We are continuing our series in Luke's Gospel. And we'll be in Luke chapter 6, so you can turn your Bibles to Luke 6, starting in verse 20. As you find your place, a little background on this text. These verses open up to a longer section of teaching from Jesus. For some context, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, we, we read a series of what are called the Beatitudes. They just mean blessings. And here in Luke, we have some similar Teaching In Luke's account, different than Matthew's, Luke's account includes woes that are paired up with each blessing. A woe is an expression of an unfortunate circumstance, a troubling reality, a warning of a coming disaster. So we have Jesus giving a blessing and a woe. With that, let's read them together. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the holy and inerrant word of God. Amen. Now in this passage, Jesus is reframing for his disciples, the lens through which they should view their world and their circumstances. I count it as a kindness of God's providence that we're working through this passage in this season. What answers, what conclusions have we come to over the past number of weeks when watching the news or, or making predictions? If we use temporary and finite measuring sticks or, or metrics, we are only going to get temporary and finite answers to our questions. And we might be in need of some practical, earthly solutions to some of our problems. But Jesus is trying to broaden the view of his disciples to see not only the temporary, but the eternal. It may be easy for his disciples, it may be easy for us to be overwhelmed at the challenges of our day. And in our weariness and in our hardship, we might grasp at any solution that might help. Or... On the flip side, we might find ourselves sitting a little too comfortable, a little too unbothered by the circumstances, trusting that our ability to maintain in a time of trial is because we are prepared enough and that we've been successful. And Jesus is reminding and warning his listeners and reminding and warning us, if we have ears to hear, that our temporary dependence is not a... Yeah, our temporary dependence is not a sign that God has abandoned us, and our temporary comforts are not a sign on on their face, on their own, that God is pleased with us. We need to fight the urge to assess our situation only by what our eyes can see, and instead lean into the sure promise of God in Christ Jesus, lay hold of the eternal life and blessings in Him, and the hope that we have in Him, not just trusting in what our eyes can see. So let's get after it. Now, as I've studied this week, I've compared Luke's uh, statements, Luke's passage here, blessings and woes, with Matthew's Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. And it's possible that both writers are writing about the same event. However, it's also likely that Jesus gave a version of this teaching multiple times, each time perhaps focusing on a different audience. And while I do believe the texts are related I actually lean toward the idea, as I've studied, that this sermon here in Luke and the one that Matthew records are different sermons. And I have two reasons for that. One, the phrasing is a little different. Luke talks about the poor, and Matthew references the poor in spirit. And though the Greek word for poor is the same, Luke is careful to not include the secondary part in spirit. Now, it can mean both the literal poor and the poor in spirit, or the meek, but, but Luke seems to be very intentional so far in his writings about which words he uses and what he includes in his gospel account. So the fact that the phrasing is different is a clue that maybe the message as it comes at a different time. And the second thing is that Luke records these corresponding woes to each blessing. Matthew doesn't include them at all. And this changes the a bit at least, the overall tone of the passage and gives some different areas of applications for Jesus' listeners and potentially some different application for us. Now, this doesn't mean that they are contradictory accounts. In fact, they complement each other quite nicely. Something to remember as we read through various gospel accounts is that we don't have recorded for us every word that Jesus ever spoke. But what we do have are specific things that the Spirit of God inspired to be written down and preserved and passed down to us for our good and God's glory. So we have in Luke 6 some very direct blessings and woes to consider, and we can trust that they're there on purpose. So there are four blessings that Jesus gives, and they each correspond to one of four woes. So our map through the text today will be to look at each blessing and woe combination and with each one, address how they might play out in our lives now. And how they might relate to our, some of our current circumstances. And they will be our, our points this morning. Uh, blessed are the poor and woe to you who are rich. Blessed are the hungry and woe to you who are full. Blessed are you who weep and woe to you who laugh. Blessed are you when you're hated and woe to you when you're spoken well of. We're going to combine the first two blessings and the first two woes because they overlap a lot. So let's look at the first ones together. Verses 20 and 21a, the first part of 21, and verses 24 and the first part of verse 25. This is the the first and second combination of blessing and woe. Blessed are the poor and the hungry, and then woe to the rich and the full. Verses 20. First part of 21. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you should be satisfied. In verses 24 and 25. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Let's look at the first part. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now often crowds gathered, but Luke tells us he looked at his disciples. What do we know about the 12? The 12 disciples. Well, most of them were blue-collar. And even the ones who had maybe more prestigious jobs left all that behind to follow Jesus. So, And during their ministry with Jesus, they relied on the generosity of others. They received gifts of thanks when Jesus taught and healed people and likely stayed as guests in homes as they traveled. They, as a group, were in the category of Poor. And Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Notice that each of the blessings and each of the woes has a for statement, a because. So what does Jesus mean here when he says this? Does he mean that everyone who is poor partakes in the kingdom just because they're poor? Well, that can't be because there are many who are poor who don't love Jesus at all. So it can't be the balance in your checkbook that gains you some kind of entrance into the kingdom. So what does Jesus mean? Look at who he's addressing. Remember, his eyes are on his disciples. I think the text can be read like this. As a disciple of Jesus, when you find yourself poor, remember that you're actually deeply and truly blessed because all of the royal power and prestige of the kingdom is already yours. And not only in the life to come, you right now partake. You have an ownership stake in the royal family of God. While you find yourself in times of trouble, know that the kingdom of God is yours already and not yet. Look at verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Hunger, like poverty, is a challenging idea. We are uncomfortable with these realities. And I think Jesus is talking about legitimate hunger here. The word we read is hunger in the Greek. You know what it means? Hunger. (laughs) It's a strong desire. In this case, a desire to eat. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are hungry now. I think we can say it this way. Blessed are you, disciples, when you find yourselves hungry for... You shall be satisfied. In Luke 12, you can turn there if you like. It's just a few pages past Luke 6. But Jesus is teaching in Luke 12, and he says this In Luke 12, verses 29 through 31, he's talking about not being anxious, and he says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus is not saying, don't bother working and don't bother to make dinner. Like the encouragement to the poor, Jesus is reminding his disciples of the promise that the Father in heaven knows what they need and will care for them. It's a not a concern to sit on your butt and not do anything. He's saying, no, no know that your Father in heaven knows what you need and will provide for you. Disciples of Jesus, when you find yourself hungry now, notice the now, he says, that anchors it to a place and time. When you find yourself hungry, know that God knows that he will provide for your need. Blessed are the poor, Jesus says, and blessed are the hungry. And that blessing of kingdom participation and the blessing of satisfaction or fullness are contrasted with woes. Jesus says in verse 24, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. Notice that Jesus doesn't say you made too much money, you're out of the kingdom. You had too big of a dinner, so you're out. He says, "Woe to you who are rich." Jesus says, "For you have received your consolation. consolation. Consolation means encouragement or help. You've received your comfort. What does he mean here? Now, remember, in, earlier in chapter five of Luke, Jesus says to the skeptical." religious leaders who are questioning him he says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance it's the sick who realize they need a doctor the caution here the warning here is that those who have much are in danger of thinking i'm good i don't need anything if my bank account is fine i have few other worries in the world you have received your consolation. You wanted comfort over holiness, and God, not in His mercy, but maybe in His judgment, has given you exactly what, he wanted, what you wanted. That's the caution. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. You may be in danger of trusting in what you already have rather than trusting in God's provision. It's the same with the second woe. Woe to you who is full now. There is a caution. Like the one who trusts in his wealth, you may be full now, but do not put your trust in your pantry or good health any more than you would in your bank account. That may and likely will change at some point. Friends, I believe the Lord is merciful that we should count all good gifts, that we should count all full cupboards and full refrigerators as God's blessing to us. But let's not be deceived into thinking that because we are full now, that we are set. We may be tangibly rich and spiritually bankrupt. We might be physically chubby and spiritually malnourished. And perhaps that makes you uncomfortable. And maybe it should. We are indeed a wealthy people in this culture. You are right now sitting in a warm home watching a man talk on a screen, and that screen, whether it's a TV or a smartphone or a computer, has more computing power in it uh, than it took to send the first man to the moon. Comparatively to the world, we are very well off. And that's not to add guilt. We don't have to feel bad for where God has placed us. It also doesn't mean to minimize the legitimate challenges that many of us are facing sickness and scarcity of food or dollars. It doesn't mean having nice things is bad or that comfort is bad. That if we have a nice job and a nice income and a nice home, that we should feel bad for that. I'm not saying that. Jesus isn't saying that. He's not. But it is a caution. We, more than others, might be at risk if we are not careful of being, becoming comfortable in what we can collect for ourselves rather than being dependent, or remaining dependent on the Lord to provide for our every need. Here's some of the ways this might play out. When we do find ourselves in need, and many people are, and in our region, I think for over the next couple of weeks, that's going to continue to increase. There'll be more people who are struggling to make ends meet When we find ourselves in need, remember that God is the supplier of all we need and he knows what we need. Remember that you are already an heir to the kingdom if you are a follower of Jesus and that kingdom cannot be shaken. That kingdom has no end. And remember, no matter our current circumstances, our foundational identity, who we are is rooted in Christ, not in what we have. And if we have much, we also need to remember that God is the supplier of all that we need. That yes, He uses the means of our hands and our hard work, but God is the supplier. And the slide into comfort and self-sufficiency is a dangerous one. And it happens a lot more quickly than you or I might think. So do not put your trust in your belly or in your bottom line. While it may be sufficient for your needs now, it is fleeting and can change in a moment. And no matter your current circumstance, remember your identity is in Christ and not in what we have. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, he says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And later in verse 19, Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Blessed are you, disciples of Jesus, when you find yourselves poor and hungry and in need, for you are partakers and heirs. You are near to the kingdom of God take hold of the promise that God will supply all that you need. And caution, woe to you who are content in your current fullness of your bellies and uh, bottom lines of your bank accounts because they are fleeting and temporary things. Let's look at the next ones, the third combination. Blessed are you who weep and woe to you who laugh. This one is tricky. Blessed are you who weep now, There's that anchor to time and place. For you shall, there's a future promise, you shall laugh. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now I think Jesus is putting forward a a principle of godly grief and godly grieving. Death and pain and sin are things that we should weep over. And I think we are often terrible at lamenting. Lament is the outward expression of grief and sorrow. And I think it has something to do with our Western sensibilities, products of the Age of Enlightenment. We we either express outrage at the wrong things or we stuff down our griefs and pretend as though they don't exist. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at here. Blessed are you who see the world as it is. You weep over the reality that sin is bad, that sin has broken things, that sin has brought sickness and death and fear and shame And woe to you who pretend like nothing is wrong, who paint on a fake smile. See, I don't think that weeping and laughing are necessarily an either or. I think it's a both and, but from the right perspective. Let's be clear. I don't think laughing is bad. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. It's good to laugh. In this time of social distancing, memes are our friends. So it's not an either or, it's a both and in the right perspective. Jesus isn't talking about joy in general or or telling jokes. He's talking about our ability as believers to see the world as God sees it. To grieve over the things that grieve the heart of God and to rejoice in the things that delight the heart of God. Paul actually says, this is the life of a disciple. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we Christians are, he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Christians live in this world of both and. Pastor John Piper, quoting from Romans twelve fifteen, says this, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. And we always know someone rejoicing and we always know somebody weeping. Therefore, we will, in love, discover the mystery of sorrowful yet always rejoicing and rejoicing yet always sorrowful. If you haven't found that mystery, you haven't lived long yet or you don't love people or you're not a Christian. And I think the blessing of those who who are able to weep deeply and, and produce godly tears is that I think only then when we're able to grieve, have godly grief and weep deeply, only then are we able to experience deep and abiding joy that floods in to fill the spaces that have been emptied by good and godly grief. Blessed are you, disciple of Jesus, if you are able to weep now, for you shall laugh and woe to you who cannot weep now because you will. That's the danger. That's the caution. At the end of all things, when Christ returns, every knee will bow before him as Lord and that those who belong to Christ will go on into everlasting joy and those who do not, those who do not belong to him, who have denied Christ, will go on into a weeping that does not end. That is the caution here. And Before we get to this last one, there's a gospel promise hidden in Psalm 126 that I stood out to me this week. Israel is praising God for restoring the nation from exile to prosperity, and in verse five and six, verses five and six of Psalm 126, Psalmist says this: "Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him." His, his harvest will come with joy. Sowing tears, reaping joy. The already not yet of the gospel of Jesus is while there still may be tears now, He has finished the work of redemption. It is ours now and he will come again and he will wipe away every tear from every eye and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. And woe to you who cannot weep because there will come a time that you will. And finally, the fourth blessing woe combination Blessed are you when you're hated and woe to you when all people think well of you. This one has a little more detail. He says specifically, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you when they cut you out, when they revile you, that means insult you, and when they spurn your name as evil, when they slander you, when they call you evil when you are not. And then there's this qualifier, on account of the Son of Man. You are not blessed if people hate you because you are a jerk. But if you are hated and mistreated because of Jesus, that's actually a blessing for you. Jesus goes on. If they do this to you, you're in good company because many people ignored and mocked and slandered the prophets that God sent to them. And they refused to listen to those prophets at their own peril. So if you're persecuted for naming the name of Jesus if you're outcast from your family for being a Christian, for living your life according to the call of Jesus, if you're persecuted for standing up for the truth in the midst of a culture that rejects God's word, that rejects God's created order, that rejects God's moral instruction, that rejects God's expression of mercy and grace in Jesus, rejoice, Jesus says. You can rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, he says. You're in the company of the faithful prophets who proclaimed the word of God, for your reward is great in heaven, Jesus says. And the woe that follows? Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. If the persecuted are in the company of God's faithful prophets, then those who are well-liked by everyone are in the company of false prophets. That uh, raised the heat a little bit. That escalated quickly. It's not that you shouldn't be friendly or a good neighbor. This, again, is not an excuse to be a jerk or to intentionally get people to dislike you, to stir the pot, to be contrarian for its own sake. That's not what this is. The false false prophets were well-liked by the people because they told them what they wanted to hear rather than telling them the truth. They were more concerned with public opinion or how they would be seen among the cultural and religious and political ruling class, the elite. They were more concerned with making sure that they remained on the quote-unquote right side of history rather than humbly but confidently trusting in, believing in, and proclaiming God's clear word. Jesus says in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And Jesus says, Blessed are you if you are hated on account of me, for great is your reward. This does not mean that we can be jerks for Jesus. It does not mean that every time we are disliked for any reason, it's persecution. But it does mean that we are called to be willing to take the hit for holding firm to the trustworthy word of God as taught. And so, like Paul says in Romans 8, when that happens, we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. In that, when we adhere to and hold to with humble confidence the truth of God's word, we can rejoice. Now, this is a lot in just a few short verses. So, what do we take from this? If we only see this as a list of do's and don'ts, I think we miss the point. If we see this as a list of if this, then that, I think we miss the point. Rather, Jesus is giving us a snapshot of what the life of a disciple looks like. Now, if you don't know Jesus, or if you think you do, but you tend to come to Jesus on your own terms, the cautions are for you. Pay attention to the woes, because all that you see and have and have trust in is temporary. What you have is what you get. And what you miss is the eternal spiritual reality of your existence. The remedy, the hope of not falling victims to the woes is to lay down your self-sufficiency. To repent, to turn away from your attempt to save yourself and justify yourself and fix yourself up. And believe in Jesus alone that he alone forgives, that he alone can save you, that he alone can redeem your brokenness and make you new. And for you, follower of Jesus, God delights. He delights to bless you in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your hunger, in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your rejection. Your position and your identity in Christ is secure. And in fact, as seen as all the more glorious when your weakness and need and dependence are on display. So my encouragement this morning, brother and sister in Christ, do not lose heart. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that your blessing of us, your care for us, is not dependent on our ability to put ourselves together, to gather for ourselves what we need so that we can come to you. No, it is the definition of grace to receive what we do not deserve. Help us to see the grace available to us in Jesus in all these ways. Help us to know your nearness in our brokenness. Help us to know your provision in our poverty. I pray right now, For those in our church family, those who are listening even this morning, who right now are wrestling with fear and anxiety over the next meal or the the layoff, would you be a kind and generous provider and would you use your people, even here in this church, to rise up and care for and take care of one another? Would, Would you show your provision in that way, please? for our neighbors, the next ring out, our neighbors and friends who live around us, other coworkers who maybe have been laid off or who are struggling. Would you use us as generous agents of hope and help to serve, to care for, to tangibly express the love of Christ for us to them in our generosity? And I pray you would shake us shake the roots of our tendency to be comfortable in ourselves, that we might be ready for what you want to do in and through us as we look to you, as we wrestle through this time and we start thinking about what is next. What are you calling us to as disciples? What are you calling us to as a church? We ask for your continued blessing and encouragement and work in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen any man